Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of Still Watching for 2020, but the last one with my regular co-host. I am Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. If you're listening to the show for the first time, wow, what a wild time to join us. Uh, But here at the end of the year, we are wrapping up our, uh, you know, abbreviated coverage of the HBO Max series, The Flight Attendant. We're stowing our tray tables, returning our seats to the upright (laughs) position. Tucking our bags underneath a chair in front of us. Um, Yeah, so Richard and I have had quite the year. Uh, We've done a lot of really fun stuff on the show, but this is it for us until 2021. Uh, And I'm going to tell you what we're going to do in 2021 in just a second. But you will get one more episode of Still Watching this year. Um, And that is uh, Anthony Bresican will be joining me to discuss the finale of The Mandalorian. And these these two things, the finale of The Flight Attendant, the finale of The Mandalorian are airing back to back. So you're going to get a double dose of Still Watching, uh, which you can pace out over the rest of the year you can gobble up all at once i'm not here to tell you how to live your life it's the holidays indulge yourself um but that is what we are doing for the rest of this year um before we get to what we will be doing next year i want to ask all of you listeners uh for a quick favor um i know because we get so 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 many really nice emails from you all that um you know a lot of you have enjoyed the ride of still watching these last couple of years that you will bounce around from show to show to us which is wild like you'll you'll pick what you're going to watch next because we're covering it that is so sweet and we love that we love all your emails and all of that if you could do me a solid <laughs> 
if you like this show and go leave us a review on iTunes. I'd be so appreciative of that. Uh, you know, for me, when I like something, I often forget to give it a positive review and I only like get my, my review typing fingers out if I really dislike something. You know, if I'm, if I'm going to leave a review, it's actually probably going to be a negative one. It's um, the Yelp phenomenon. Only exactly. the people who had the bad meal at the restaurant are going to go on to Yelp and review Exactly. It, you know? I'm not going to review an Amazon purchase that works super well for me, but if it broke, you better believe. Anyway, so we, we ha- we've got some negative reviews over on uh, the old iTunes for the show, and some of it, I'm sure, is constructive uh, criticism that we can learn and grow from. Some of it is just kind of mean, um, but we would love to hear from you, those of you who, lo- who like this show. Uh, dare I say even love this show and like Marvel um, pays me to write them good reviews I will pay each and every one of you <laughs> in love not not an actual monetary no 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 no, no, no. no 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 but yeah Richard will love on you anyway that would that would make our uh, holidays merry and bright if you could go do that for us uh, on iTunes leave us a review uh, and we would we would really appreciate that so uh, now that I have put the hat out for a positive review let us talk about what we plan to give you in 2021 Richard, what show have we selected for our first, uh, you know, sojourn into the new year? It is the series reboot of A Fish Called Wanda, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, called yeah, WandaVision. Yeah. No, I'm joking, but the fun thing about WandaVision, which is part of the whole Marvel world with uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, is I genuinely, Joanna, don't know what it is. I know that it's like they're in a 50s sitcom or something for a little bit. But beyond that, I'm going in mostly blind. I don't know the lore from the comic books. So I'm excited to discover it anew hopefully with a lot of uh, you people listening uh, and tell your friends uh, week to week. I think that'll be fun. Yeah. So we are doing something very special with the show, something we have never done on still watching before, which is that uh, Richard and I uh, will be covering WandaVision six episodes starts mid January. Um, but then also our pal, Anthony Bresnikin, who's been doing some Mandalorian stuff with me on this feed, will be hopping in uh, to also chat with me. So basically there's going to, the show's going to be in two parts. One part, Richard and I are going to talk about the show as a show, whether or not it's a fun show to watch. And there's also a lot of, um, you know, I, I kind of want to don't sully you since you're so unsullied, Richard. But um, my understanding is that this is a show that's going to play a lot with classic TV uh, genres and influences. So a lot of what you might have seen in any trailer you might have watched uh, is sort of an allusion to Dick Van Dyke show sort of era uh, classic sitcom. But I think they plan to cover other classic sitcoms like uh, I think Roseanne is definitely one. There might be a few others. So we can we can look at it as a TV show in its own right and also as a like love letter to classic television. That's something Richard and I are qualified to talk about. Um, and then Anthony and I are going to have a conversation about it as a comic book property. And so there's just going to be something hopefully for everyone. It is, as the comic book folks say, a crossover event. Um, so I'm really excited. And and uh, if all goes according to plan, we should have some folks from the show uh, on in our usual interview slot. So uh, that is what we are doing in 2021. And I'm really excited for it. Um, I think I think it's going to be a really a really fun show. Right before we cover the premiere of WandaVision in 2021, we're going to do a little episode that's going to be like a little prep of like get yourself ready, WandaVision is coming. This is what you might want to do, but I wanted to give you um a little insight 
uh, of what you might want to do if you want to prep over the holiday. If you're like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do over the holiday, um, there's a couple reading assignments that you could pick up if you wanted to. Um, definitely not required, but there is um, there is a comic book uh, run called The Vision, which is by comic book writer Tom King, um, and it's about Paul Bettany's character Vision um, in a suburban setting. So that is definitely an inspiration. It's pretty recent. I want to say 2019. Um, and, or no, no, like maybe 2018, 2017, something like that. Anyway, it's pretty recent. Great comic. Really, really fun. Um, I, I just, I can't recommend it enough. I think, you know, even if you haven't read comic books before, this might be a really good one to start. And then there's also um, House of M comic book storyline is something that you might want to pick up. That's a 2005 comic book storyline. So House of M, The Vision might be some good holiday reading if you want to be a smug book reader and who doesn't. Uh, so that's that's WandaVision. We're going to we're going to treat this Disney Plus Marvel show with all the uh, the reverence it deserves, maybe even more. And uh, and that's our play for 2021. So. Richard, 2020, mm-hmm. quite the year. Mm-hmm. We had two Oscar winners on this podcast, Kate Blanchett and Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are wrapping it all up with one with future Oscar winner Kaylee Cuoco Could uh, be. And, Who knows? And, and her adventures on The Flight Attendant. I have zero regrets about us picking the show. I, it has been so fun. and It's been really fun to watch other people pick it up. Uh, yeah. Richard, how do you feel now that we've seen all of it, all eight episodes? Oh, and I apologize, you know, for a couple things that we got wrong. I think we've already talked about it, but I think I said there was six episodes, eight episodes. How do you feel now that now that we're at the end of the road here? I feel I, I feel mostly satisfied, you know, which I think is is that alone is hard to pull off, let alone, um, you know, all the other things that the show does um, reframing a famed sitcom actress's career, uh, you know, adapting a book, uh, knowing just what to do with Rosie Perez, which I feel like she's gotten a great role here uh, and hasn't had that uh, all that often in recent years. So um, all told a success. It, it, it was I don't know if it was unexpected that it found seemed to find such a, an audience, you know, at least a vocal one online. But it's been fun uh, that it has. I think that uh, it especially with coming right, you know, on the heels of the undoing, which maybe wasn't as satisfying for people at the end. Um, this may, you know, will restore something of the HBO slash Max brand a bit. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that. Uh, it's been fun with this show uh, and Queen's Gambit, which we didn't cover on this podcast, but like certainly have on VF.com a lot, um, that these two things just sort of both you know adapted from books. So they were extant properties, but they kind of emerged unheralded in, you know, from the mists into the streaming world and really got picked up and noticed by people. And and, and I think it's a testament to, uh, you know, just like people want good storytelling. It doesn't have to be like, so uh you know promoted and marketed the hell out of it it just it can just kind of be good on its own terms and and find an audience and be successful yeah that word of mouth you know word of mouth becomes all the more important when streaming services are just you know flooded with 
content and and you need help navigating like what what are the diamonds in the rough here and i would say that like hbo max has had a lot of has had plenty of rough so far uh or at least just sort of uh you know not a non-essential feeling television and this feels like the first show you you mentioned i think in our first coverage uh our first episode covering it that um you really feel like this maybe should have been the show that they launched with if they could have they had their druthers for a show this is their mandalorian right like this is the show that could have really ushered them in as a serious contender in television and it didn't work out that way for them but i'm but this is their the same way that Ted Lasso became this sort of like unexpected later hit for Apple uh, versus the morning show, which was supposed to be like their big, big thing, which was still a, a significant thing. But like Ted Lasso, I think, is the first show that made people say, like, maybe I have to have Apple. And yeah. this is the first show that I think maybe might, other than all the movies that are coming to it, that maybe might make people feel like I have to have HBO Max, you know? Or kind of a little bit Orange is the New Black on, on Netflix, yeah, sure, you know, sure. like that was like came out just after House of Cards. And House of Cards was its own kind of phenomenon, but Orange is the New Black was just kind of like initially seen as like, oh, and then there's this other show. And then it really, you know, took off, yeah. obviously, and became yeah. this whole thing. So, um, so yeah, so I'm I'm very happy with the way, this is not a bumpy landing. I'm happy with the way that the show landed. Um, I I think it saved its biggest, uh, most dramatic moment its biggest breakthrough for his character was in the penultimate episode uh so it didn't come it didn't crowd the tying up of the loose ends and the finale you know we had our big sort of like cathartic uh moment for for cassie uh in the in the penultimate episode um but yeah let's let's talk about rosie perez you mentioned rosie perez rosie perez's storyline is often a storyline that i felt like why is this here um from a plot perspective why is this that seems completely unconnected to the larger story why am i spending time here and then ultimately given what she got to work with in the finale both the final scene between uh, cassie um and her character and you know, her goodbye to her family and, and just her standing at the train station. I agree with you that ultimately I don't mind that that felt a little disconnected. Like it was a different show uh, because it just gave Rosie Perez something so meaty and beautiful to work with. Yeah. And I, and I think that in her teary speech uh, at the end, you know, to Cassie um, where she talks about feeling invisible She's like, I'm a exactly. middle-aged woman. And I, exactly. and, and I think that there's something deliberate and metaphorical about the fact that, like, at the end of the show, we are forced to turn our heads and be like, oh, she was having this whole intrigue this whole time. And yes, we, like, dropped in on it. But, like, it wasn't treated as quite as urgent as Cassie's storyline, you know. And I think that, like, the show turning to recognize that and be like you've been conspiring with the North Korean government like, right. and committing espionage. That's a pretty big deal. That could be its own show. And yet it wasn't, you know? Um, and I, th I think that, so I think there was something deliberate, deliberate about that. And then they, how they kind of leave her to potentially become 
a bigger part of the second season. I don't know, but um, where, where whatever the sort of future of of that is, I think that Rosie Perez was so good in it, and yeah. you know, especially that scene. Um, you know, it's a very different kind of role, but you know, it reminds me of why she got an Oscar nomination for Fearless in '92, I think, and 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 how good she's been consistently in things throughout her career, um, and yet hasn't uh, qu- quite gotten that A list stature. Uh, you know, for a variety of frustrating reasons. Right. And I think if uh, she's so good, that, that, that line about being feeling invisible, incredibly good. Um, the Megan Cassie stuff is really good. And, and I think you're right that it does force us to reckon with that a little bit, but, but given that this is a show centered on the character of Cassie, the, you know, I, how does it how does it feed Cassie's story as well? And and you could say that final conversation, of course, is an important moment of of empathy, of um not self centered behavior. You know what I mean? Like right. we've already seen her Cassie try to be a better friend to Annie than she's been to her their entire friendship and stuff like that. But this moment where she goes to Megan's room, like in the midst of her own life threatening showdown, and offers her this support and sympathy um is of course a big moment for her character and then the fact that that means that uh griffin matthew's character uh can show up with a gun right right in right in the final act uh the character of shane can show up and the, and the whole reason he was there is that he was tracking megan this whole time i mean it's, it was that was a really actually kind of satisfying payoff because i remember early in watching it they make that mention of like flight attendants are often picked as um, either like assassins or secret agents or whatever, because they can hop around the globe sort of undetected. And so we were like, oh, is Cassandra a sleeper agent? Is Megan an agent? Like, what, you know, what are we missing? And the fact that there was one on their crew um, and it wasn't the one we were necessarily expecting, uh, I think was a really fun payoff for that seed that they planted really early on, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was silly, but like, there's a lot of silly stuff on the show. I think yes. that the. The crucial thing is that they sell the silliness well. You know, um, it, it, it's not the kind of thing that was like took itself too seriously in one scene. And so then the funnier stuff doesn't play. I think it was a really well-balanced series in that way. Um, and uh, that's a feat of writing and direction and, and certainly the, the performances, you know, that um, it makes sense that Cuoco's character is having that tearful thing in one scene and then pretty much near immediately is in a fight. And then there's a gun battle revealing a secret CIA agent. You know, it's like, it all sort of tracks <laughs> within the world of the show. Did you watch, uh, you watched, uh, promising Young woman at, uh, Sundance, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just watched that for the first time, uh, yesterday, I think. And, um, that's a movie, you know, that I think if it had had the tone of this show would have been an A plus smash hit for me. It's a movie that I liked a lot, and Car- you know this is this is a movie with Carrie Mulligan at the center of it, who plays out a woman Christmas. Uh, out Christmas, uh, who plays a woman who sort of uh, honey traps uh, men uh, who would who would uh, injure women and takes her revenge on them, and um, it, but it's 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 being billed as a black comedy it does have black comedic elements but i that's a that's a movie that like i think struggles to find a sure-footed tone and as i was watching it, i was like it just needed the flight attendant tone like that's what i think it needed do you would you agree or disagree with that no i i agree yeah i mean i i think i think that 
I think there's a lot of, there's an often a kind of refrain of like, well, I wish this thing knew what it was. I yes, wish it knew it was exactly. a B movie. Exactly. And I, and I, and I think that too often people will think that means that it has to reduce itself to one thing. And it's like, no, you can contain multitudes, but you yeah. have to know what those multitudes are exactly. and how they dialogue with each other. Yeah. Um, Promising Young Woman, I think, has a lot of substance, but gets the style wrong in, in certain cases. And in this case, I think, you know, there are certain things about the flight attendant that I don't love. I don't love the heavy reliance on these kind of fugue state things, you know, yeah. um, because I think sometimes it's used as dressed up exposition in a way that or emotional exposition that like feels a little like cheating. Yeah. But but I think for the most part, in terms of that balance of knowing what it is and meaning we are a thriller, we are a, a, a an addiction drama, we are a familial family drama, we're a friendship comedy, like all these things. Um, it just it it calibrated that all well so well that it it yes it's an airport novel it's entertainment it's not meant to be profound exactly but it earned its you know little dollops of pathos here at the end and i think um because it knew exactly what it was the whole time um it doesn't mean my like standards are lowered for it it just means i think that like knowing that this is like sort of something very fizzy that you know we're sipping at the end of the year here um you know, maybe if this were a drama that was just centered on a woman grappling with her alcoholism, I would find the Jason Jones flashbacks like, uh, like unbearably hammy. You know what I mean? Jason Jones, who, who a former Daily Show correspondent who plays her alcoholic father, I would find them incredibly hammy. Um, in the context of this show, I think it works uh, really well. And I th honestly, I think a lot of that has to do with the way that Kaylee uh, sells it. Um, the compassionate moment for her younger self, uh, works okay for me, but what works really well for me actually, and I got very emotional watching it was the phone call that she makes from, uh, present to her brother, Tara Knight. Uh, I thought that was, and you know, and, and the way in which he's like, frame behind this pained window that makes him look like he's in jail too as he's talking to her. I thought that was just like a really beautiful moment of like really, really attempting to cut through the garbage of your trauma to connect with someone that you really want to connect with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, um, you know, I think we can talk more broadly about the way that the show really does kind of coalesce around this, you know, trauma narrative, this addiction narrative, uh, in a way that really, really could skirt almost irresponsibility, you know, like, are, is this being, is this the right forum to have these kind of intense discussions, et cetera? Uh, some might argue not, but I think that the way that it looks at these things in the context of the show, it feels earned, I guess, you know, I mean, I mean, I don't know what, I, I'm thinking particularly about the TR Knight stuff where, you know, does one apology fix the relationship? No, of course not. No. But I don't think the show yeah. is saying that it does. Right. And I think that also with the alcoholism thing, Cassie, you know, showing her, you know, two meeting chip or whatever, and then being like, well, no, I mean, I'm trying not to drink or, you know, it, it, she didn't suddenly change or her addiction didn't suddenly like flee her body. Right. You know, so I think it was honest about, these heavy, heavy, serious things, um, without, uh, 
you know, it it wasn't going to go too deeply into them because it's not that kind of show. You're telling me one speech from one Italian nona isn't enough to cure a, a life of alcoholism? <laughs> well, I mean, it really depends <laughs> on the nona, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that was that was like the moment of the finale where I was like, I don't know what, I don't know that this is what we needed here. I don't no. know that we needed a trip to the countryside to meet a uh, friend with benefits, uh, nona, and get a gun. Um, if I if I were to to redo the finale, that's the one thing that I would change. Um, but you know, something that is really surprisingly pleasurable leading up to the finale and in the finale is this connection between um, Kaylee Cuoco's character uh, Cassandra and Michelle Gomez's character uh, Miranda, who we talked at length um, before about the fact that the character of Miranda was recast very late in the game. Um, and they were able to get away with it because Miranda and Cassandra don't actually interact until, uh, I think the sixth episode. Um, and so, she, you know, Michelle Gomez can just sort of reshoot scenes skulking in the, <laughs> around the fringes of the narrative. Uh, I thought she, she's incredible in everything she does. I thought she was so good here. I, uh, I, I love the actress that she replaced, but I cannot imagine her. Uh, doing this, it would have been a completely different show, and I think the completely wrong tone. Michelle Gomez always brings a comedic twist to her really sinister stuff. No one, I don't think anyone blends comedy and 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 uh, menace the way that she does. Uh, and it just it really landed for me, and I just really love the bond that she forms uh, with with Cassandra here at the end. Uh, how did how did Michelle Gomez work out for you? I think she's great. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was a really fun twist that she wasn't the evil, you know, doer that we thought she was. I mean, she has done things bad in the past, but like, I think it was a really well handled. I was a little confused at first and I was like, wait, are they saying that she didn't do any of these like murder things? And then they kind of show that, no, she really didn't, you know? Right. right. Um, and I think that's a really fun, uh, I think, you know, sometimes we see this, thing in thrillers comedy thrillers where unlikely allies uh you know team up and then they're like well you you know you he, he that person used to you know try to kill me or whatever and it just kind of laughed off and it's like that's pretty serious to like align yourself <laughs> with someone who's right. trying to kill you right and in this case they're like no they can align because that was not true you know it's not like she had it she did have a change of heart but it wasn't that profound a change of heart you know you're of course referring to uh jason statham in the fast and furious franchise right I mean, kind of, yes, actually. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, you know, that's a that's a big one where you're like, he literally, like, murdered tons of people on his way to trying to murder you. So why are, <laughs> why is he now your friend slash maybe the Rock's love interest? Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I'm trying to think of anyone else delivering the great... Uh, like, when uh, Annie uh, is asking Miranda, like, some questions leading up to whether or not she can help her. And she's like, have you done a murder? Have you done a this? And she's like, yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Last week, I think. Um, it's just like a really fun exchange between two talented, three talented comedic actresses in this dark context that just works, uh, I think, beautifully, uh, really, really well. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. 
so let's get to who done it then, uh, which is uh, a Buckley or Felix, depending on how you how you want to say it. This is Colin Woodle's character, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, based. Uh, did I not say Buckley? I said it, right? No, no, I just, oh. I'm combining Felix and Buckley into Fuckley. Oh, oh okay, Fuckley. Uh, yeah, plays by Colin Whittle. Um, this is a character that has owes so much uh, to the character of Joe from you, um, but, uh, all you know, to, to plenty of other things. I have had my eye on Buckley from the start, because honestly, when whenever a character is caught up in some kind of intrigue, uh, and they randomly meet a handsome stranger at a bar, and not only that, but he randomly runs into the street, into you on the street later, out for a jog. I'm like, uh, uh-uh. uh. But I did for a while think he was working with law enforcement, and then he had sex with her, and I was like, that I think is illegal for law enforcement to do. So what's the deal here? I I didn't necessarily think he was like the main, the main guy. But then, um, when they mentioned when when Miranda mentioned uh, a psychotic killer named Felix, I think one episode before we get the reveal, I was like, oh, I bet it's Buckley. Um, but what I didn't expect was this like chameleonic sort of thing. Like we see him with the beard and this, like, it's amazing how much a slicked back hair and some large glasses can, can change a character, uh, change an actor's look. His accent work, pretty solid. Um, and I am completely in love with his final look, which is this like weird Italian suit, large hat uh, vibe that he was trying to do in Rome. Uh, so, so how do you feel about about old Buck Buckley here, uh, Richard? At the end, yeah. Again, I think another successfully pulled off twist because you start to think, oh, like maybe this like ghost affair with. Michael Huisman's character, like, which obviously was never going to come to fruition because he's dead and she's not really talking to him. She's talking to herself. But like, right. I was like, OK, maybe in this she actually finds a romance that works and they're and they're kind of um, saying, you know, what he says, we don't always have to, like, be, you know, drink and be wild. We, you know, and, you know, you start to think, like, maybe this has been part of the journey all along was meeting this guy. And then, you know, maybe it's a little cruel to invert that. But um but it was surprising in a satisfying way. And I mean, something we're going to talk about more, uh, you know, if this is indeed setting up for more flight attendant, a season two, um, and he's not dead, we see they're, they're careful to show us that at the end. Um, it, it could set up, you know, an interesting, some variant on killing Eve cat and mouse attraction killer, inspector you know investigator kind of thing right um and because it's been presented that felix buckley whatever um is that chameleon that would at least be in a season two which i kind of don't think they should have but if they do at least like a fun visual running gag of like what does he look like (laughs) next you know What's Buckley wearing this week? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, yes, they they make sure to show you that everyone is everyone is alive at the end of this, uh, except for Victor, R.I.P. Um, and uh, leaving the door open for a season two. We can talk about that in a second. I think Richard and I are kind of on the same page with that. But uh, I want to zoom back quickly to talk about one of my favorite things that happens in the finale, which is this like winter soldier elevator fight between uh, Miranda and Buckley. I just, I mean, I'm not a fight on screen fight choreography uh, expert, but that looked great to me. Uh, Especially I loved the overhead, you know, watching people fight in a box shots. Um, 
and even Winter Soldier, they had like windows. This just felt like so claustrophobic and contained, and I'm not even sure how they filmed it. Uh, you know, did you did you fancy that as much as I did, Richard? Oh yeah, no, it was great. I mean, yeah. I, I think they cheat a little bit at the end where he punches her out, and we're like, well she's probably dead and then she's not it's not it's it you know maybe it will be in season two or whatever but like it's not justified exactly that why this like remorseless sociopath killer wouldn't Didn't have kill just killed yeah. his like m- you know most formidable enemy um at the time but um but yeah no i mean it was a satisfying bit of fight choreography and they did seem equally matched to some extent even though she ended up losing the fight um and i thought also like the, the the fight choreography in the hotel scene where you know cassie is much less you know not 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 a trained combatant certainly but um i thought that was like well staged and felt um real enough you know except when she picked up the lamp and hit him with not the heavy part of it oh cassie what a move um yeah <laughs> I, I will say i mean i know i know cassie's not uh a trained operative yet um i know that she you know miranda has the great moment where she's like how are you still alive like how, yeah, yeah. how? and then she's kind of impressed she's <laughs> yeah, like you yeah. really did a lot with yeah. very limited resources yeah and, and so we're supposed to be impressed by how much cassie used her instincts to get through everything which i which i agree and i think i think the the show earns that assessment of her that being said i was like did you you know that this shape-shifting assassin is after you and you walked in that hotel room sent your italian pal away to get you coffee and didn't check the bathroom first like cassie my my dude what are you doing like i would check the bathroom i check the bathroom anyway when yeah. i walk into a hotel room uh and uh, i don't any, have any bathroom a during that, i pull the shower curtain back <laughs> literally really literally. Yeah. yeah uh who are you most afraid is gonna leap out from behind the curtain I mean, probably my inner self. I don't know. Oh so, no, um, <laughs> my, Michael of, Weisman. I don't know. <laughs> speaking of which, I you know there there's some stuff that felt a little heavy handed. Uh, like I said, I don't mind that it did. Um, but something that I'm really glad that they backed off of. There's this moment when um, Cassie is saying goodbye uh in in her mind to alex sokoloff she has removed the bloody gash from his neck the golden glow of her like fonder memories uh are are coming back to her and she's like you know i love you and he's like it's not me you know and and so then you're like of course okay she's learning to love herself that's what she's been doing this whole time but he didn't say at least he didn't say you learn to love it. Like you didn't articulate that. There's so many times in a show where I'm like, just don't say it. I'm thinking it already. Don't say it. Like there was a moment when the Nona was like, it would be a real pity to repeat the mistakes of their generations or like whatever. And then she just like stares at her mini bottles of vodka. I was like, I got it. I know. I know yeah. what we're talking about here. It's okay. Yeah. You don't have to cut away to that. Um, so this is a, a moment where they walked back from really, really underlying the obvious. And I appreciated that. Um, All right, season two. So the premise that they're setting up for season two here is, first of all, Megan's on the run. Secondly, uh, Cassie is so instinctually, prodigiously talented that perhaps the CIA is interested in drafting her into service. Um, And Buckley's not dead and and, uh, Miranda's out there somewhere with a bunch of money. Yeah. So, And I think there's an interesting psychological thing being set up there if there is a season two right. in that uh 
you know, we don't know how sober Cassie is. Like she right. fondles the bottle of vodka, then puts it away when she's on her, her flight at the end of the episode uh, right. the finale. Um, so there's obviously still an active temptation there. Not that there isn't for people who've been sober for decades. Like, it, it, you know, it's an ongoing thing. Um, but if she is, in fact, sober, that little smile she gets when it's suggested that maybe she might be recruited by the CIA uh, suggests like, oh, well, here's another exciting, dangerous thing I could do. So the drinking and the drugging is gone, but uh, there's I could do this. And and and, and so, it you know, it may be j- sort of subtly suggests like the concept of a dry drunk, which is people who get sober from their chemical dependency, but then pursue other uh, addictive behavior. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm probably not defining that exactly clearly, but like, um, or accurately, but like, you know, that's the kind of general idea. And, and so, you know, while it's exciting for her and the audience that she might go on another adventure, it also might be a little more darkly suggesting that like she's traded one, um, you know, uh, perilous kind of fixation for another. Yeah. 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 I, Cause I was trying to think I, like I, my instinct is to say no to a season two, because I think like season two of Big Little Lies, among many other season twos of shows that are based on one book and maybe should just stay based on one book, um, like, you know, has taught me like Handmaid's Tale. Like, I wish Handmaid's Tale had been a perfect jewel of one season. I wish Big Little Lies had been a perfect jewel of one season, you know, sort of thing. So like the instinct is to always do more. And I am like, do less uh, and and keep and keep it great. Killing Eve great first season uh and uh and i'm worried <laughs> like i i'm i'm not opposed to kaylee cuoco as as cassandra globetrotting cia agent i actually love that idea like give me alias give me jennifer garner give me kaylee and like a bunch of different weird outfits and wigs i would be super into that but i'm like but if but it but it would be hard to do that as flight attendant season two when so much of season one was her unraveling this specific trauma from her childhood. Are we going to give her another trauma? Is her trauma then her trauma that we thought was resolved going to become unresolved? Like all of those options seem kind of unsatisfying to me. Or they um, just simplify the emotional or, or, or they, 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 you know, they, 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 they keep that in mind, but then they just kind of like make it more of a thriller, but maybe the sobriety thing is kind of the dramatic engine for the season, you know? Um, Are and... they going to do the mind palace again? And if so, like, you know, is, I mean, Alex should, should be gone. Maybe if, it's if, like drunk you know. Cassie. Ooh. Being like, don't you miss me? You know, hire us to write season two of the flight attendant. Richard just cracked it. Put drunk Cassie in the mind palace. I actually love it. Now I'm on board season two. <laughs> We've talked ourselves into it. <laughs> Boarding now. Uh, you know, yeah, actually drunk Cassie in the mind palace. Ooh, I love that. Um, you know, a more opportunity for Rosie Perez to pursue this, I think could be really fun. I loved that about, I will say about the Megan character throughout. Um, oftentimes it felt like, uh, I didn't know why I was spending time with her, but, but then she just speaks every language and it's sort of just like a thing that she does and she doesn't talk about it, but she'll just like, yeah. like in the finale when she wanders up and just speaks Italian and, you know, and it's like, and she could speak Korean, like all this other stuff. And I was just like, and that's, that's part of the lesson, right? Like Megan is so accomplished and interesting and we just ignore her. Um, and so, like, I actually believe that Megan could disappear if she needed to into the world because of this, like, fluency we've seen from her. Um, interesting. Yeah. And it's, a, you know, and, and like and like that she does have this kind of secret in her life. She speaks all these languages. She's doing this espionage thing. Yeah. Um, 
and, and, and she's kind of going toward that, whereas Cassie is kind of running away from her. I mean, not that her drinking is secret exactly, but it, you know, she's a high functioning alcoholic. She still has a job and, you know, an apartment and everything like that. Um, you know, so I think they're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin in some ways, uh, both, you know, possessed of secrets and, and hidden abilities, but, uh, but approaching them in different directions. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, uh, that opens the door for, for both characters to have, uh, interesting things happen to them in season two that still keep them the same characters. I think a lot of times when these shows, um, are meant ish to be miniseries and then they do well and they say, okay, we, we left the door open. We'll do season two. I think sometimes they kind of reinvent who the characters are because their arcs were so complete at the end of the first season that they have to just basically make up new stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, if it's not drunk, Cassie, the mind palace, then I'm going to be disappointed. But, uh, Richard has talked me into, um, the flight attendant season two. The last thing I want to mention before we go, uh, for this year <laughs> is this idea of I don't, I can't believe I or I don't know if I said this phrase to you yet but it's a phrase that I learned from one of the co-hosts of you're wrong about which is this idea of hot mess express uh usually applied to women <laughs> and it's sort of like lovingly like hot mess express meaning like they're a hot mess but like you gotta admire <laughs> you, so there's some part of you that has to admire the, the destruction that they're causing uh i think cassie definitely qualifies this is for i first heard it in in uh applied to princess diana the real princess diana actually um and so i just kind of want to celebrate this end of year uh space we find ourselves in with all these like hot mess express women we've got i think anna taylor joy's character and the queen's gambit she's a much tidier version but she's still a hot mess express um a billy piper's character and i hate Susie. like i just feel it feels like a real and these might all be like children of phoebe waller bridge's character and fleabag but like it just feels like a real um 2020 the year of like women just being allowed to be like unraveling in a way that I think they weren't that that was usually the I think the province of of great men and great great dramas about men uh and uh and I don't know I like does it feel uh revolutionary to you or does it feel part of a something we've seen before I don't know I mean I think I think it's interesting I I think that there could be people who say uh, particularly about Cassie on this show that it's too scolding of her and 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 her choices and whatever but i think actually for, to, in my opinion like it it you know there's not a ton of ways to justify her alcoholism is like empowering you know uh it's i don't think the show is telling that us that she needs to like settle down and stop sleeping around and do all this i think it, it, it's just saying like don't like drown out your real self with, yeah alcohol you know you can still do those things but you can do them in a more like in a healthier way um and and so yeah i think in that way it does feel uh you know exciting and 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 different and uh yeah i guess we maybe we would we would see this as a man i think also with like addiction narratives for women it's so often like hiding wine from their kids or something you know it, it, it's so much more domestic and this is not and 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 in the arc of this season you see like how resourceful she is and how uh 
frank correct she has been about this yeah. whole conspiracy um and the thing getting in her way was the thing she thinks is like her identity i mean a lot of addicts talk about that they're like you know even, even something is like cigarettes it's like but i'm a smoker you know i'm a drinker i'm you know mm, and yeah, it's like yeah. no you're all of these things it's actually the alcohol was the thing that was like stopping you it, it wasn't the the vehicle to uh you know self-actualization it was the thing impeding it yeah it's interesting because um I think that the fact that Miranda is like, I don't know, I kind of like her. What can I say? Yeah. Um, I think that's a lot of the show just being like, yeah, she's messy. Yes, she deserves the the shunning and frustration she gets from some of the people closest to her, including her brother and her best friend in this series. Yeah. We're not giving her a free pass for her destructive behavior, but also look what she's done as well. Like, look how accomplished she actually is. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, yeah, ultimately it's of crucial importance. Not that every female character has to be likable, but sure. that when Miranda says, I kind of like her, we agree and we understand what she means. You know what I mean? Right. And that yeah, was like and, the where we were arrived at the end of the season. Yeah, and and you know, Megan says something serious like similar. She's like, you know, everyone likes you. Like you just you just like wander around, you do this and everyone likes you. And like it's only her son who like doesn't <laughs> like her. Right. Only Megan's son doesn't like Cassie, but it's true. Like she is a lot an abundance of charm and she may fuck up and she may piss people off, but ultimately people like her. Um and uh yeah, like likability is a really dangerous thing to talk about when you talk about women. But I do think that like it helps the, the destruction go down a bit. I mean, like yeah. that's that's the thing about Princess Diana. Like learning a lot of things about the real Princess Diana uh, from her own memoir. Like not even like nasty gossip, but just like from her own memoir. It's like this is a woman who did a lot of like very questionable things. But also had a huge capacity for for like kindness and and good and empathy and there was just like a lot to admire in her at this at the exact same time and and you sh you know it's it's stupid but we've done it for so long to box a woman in one or the other you know yeah, uh, yeah. that they can they can contain multitudes as they say uh all right so that is the flight attendant uh a really pleasant trip if, if you want to hear our colleague chris rosen uh chat with kaylee cuoco he did so over on the little gold men podcast this week so uh you can go check that out um but i'm really glad we did the show yeah. richard yeah. yeah and if you're starved for a somewhat similar energy you already mentioned it, joanna but really go watch i hate Susie. Um, yes. it's a terrific show that, um, you and Sonia Soraya and Katie Rich talked about on Little Gold Men a couple weeks ago. Um, and it, 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 it's not about the same thing by any means or of the same character, but it has a similar kind of freewheeling, but really sort of secretly insightful energy. Yeah. And I think like, like Kelly Cuoco on this, I think Carrie Mulligan is just extraordinary and promising young woman. I think yes. she's really, really yeah. good in, in, in a way that like, there are a few times when I think the script and promising young woman lets me down a little bit, but Carrie's Carrie is like able to deliver like every line with just such like a plum and, and like wit and intensity of emotion. And I'm just, I am dazzled by her in that movie. So yeah, go check it out. Uh, until we go to the suburbs of somewhere in America, mm -hmm. Richard Lawson, where can folks find you? 
Well, not hiding behind your shower curtain, I promise. Um, <laughs> but also, sadly, not on some business class flight to somewhere uh. fancy. I'll just be home and I'll be tweeting from Rylaws and writing reviews. And I have year end lists up and other things on VF.com. And Joanna, until uh, we talk again in a bold new year with a, you know, a new president pretty soon after, uh, where can people find you? Um, probably just walking straight to the back of a bodega and randomly drinking beers from a refrigerator and getting away with it for some reason. That's New Year's Eve um, for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. it's my usual plan for New Year's Eve. Um, so we'll see. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can find us both on VanityFair.com. And we'll see you in the new year. Yeah, thanks for flying with uh, Still Watching. Oh, ding, ding. Ding, ding.